Welcome back to week two of the Good Shepherd Bible Study webcast. We are looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, today, particularly, we're looking at the first three Beatitudes that we studied on November 19th, 2017. Again, Good Shepherd Bible Study is a potential church plant of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit our website at gsbiblestudy.org. There you can check our calendar for various events. We were often at uh, the Sugar Creek, Sugar Land Town Square doing outreach or Oyster Creek Park, uh, Memorial Park in Sugar Land. So if you'd like to come out, meet us in person or even come help us do some evangelism, we'd love to meet you. The website's also good for prayer requests. If you're listening to this and you have a request that you would love for us to pray for, please uh, go to the website. Uh, there's a page just for those requests. We would love to pray for you and, and follow up with you on that. Also like us on Facebook at Southwest Houston Reformed. You can also join us for the Bible study in Stafford, Texas at 3211 South Main Street at a church building called Grace Center. We meet Sunday evenings from 5 to 7 for food, fellowship, singing, and of course, the study. So we are going to right now briefly look over a general understanding of what the Beatitudes are, and then look at the first three Beatitudes. Now right away we wonder, what in the world does the word Beatitude mean? And really it just means blessing. We often think that the Beatitudes are relegated to Matthew 5, uh, but there's more than that. Beatitude is just blessing. So consider Psalm 1 that tells us, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the way of the wicked. Uh, that's a Beatitude. It's blessings. Blessings and their opposite curses are fundamental to understanding our relationship with God, specifically our covenantal relationship. And so often in that covenant relationship, God's people break the covenant constantly and we deserve covenant curses, whereas the one who keeps the covenant deserves the covenant blessings. Although we find the backwardsness of this as Christ keeps the covenant, but he receives the curses. And while we break the covenant, we receive the blessings that Christ has earned and given to us, credited to our account. And in a similar fashion, these Beatitudes are also very backwards, backwards in regards to the way that the world thinks. When we think of blessings, is it a blessing to be poor in spirit, to be meek, to be merciful, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be pure of heart, peacemaking? Is it a blessing to be persecuted? So do we seek our blessings in these things, or do we seek our blessings in the ways of the world? Right? The world says, blessed are the rich, blessed are the happy, the honorable, the famous. But the Beatitudes give us a very different picture, that blessed are those who practice these Beatitudes, and they will be happy. I would also like to emphasize again, as we did in week one, that Christ is not telling us how to become Christians in the Beatitudes. He is telling us the way that Christians act as they are in that state of grace. This also brings up the issue that these are not eight different people groups. The eight Beatitudes are not describing eight types of all-star Christians or eight types of exceptional Christians. Instead, it's describing eight characteristics that all Christians have. 
So did you know that the, you, as a Christian, have these characteristics and we seek to emphasize them in our lives more and more? So the first beatitude we find in Matthew 5, verse 3, is blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, this poor in spirit, we should say, this is not a financial poverty. The Catholic and Anglican commentators of the past have often talked about the voluntary poverty of possessions, giving away everything, living as a monk, living as a nun, and having nothing to your name. That's not what this beatitude is telling us to do. In fact, some people have given all their possessions away, and yet they still lack the spirit. Also, being poor in spirit is not being depressed. Uh, it's not low self-esteem. It's nothing of the sort. In fact, one can have a low self-esteem and still not be poor in spirit. And so we say that to be poor in spirit is this. It is to recognize that one needs the Lord and has nothing to offer God of himself. Right? It, to be poor in spirit is to be bankrupt and have nothing to show God for your good works. Because we have no good works. Our works are filthy rags in God's sight. Right? It's a lot like the prodigal son who had nothing. He was spiritually bankrupt. He comes to his father just wanting to be a humble servant in his household. He recognized there was nothing he had to offer his father. Or we might think of the famous uh, Top Lady hymn where we sing uh, in Rock of Ages, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And that's the idea of being poor in spirit, that we have absolutely nothing of ourselves to offer to God. Now we might think that this uh, poverty of spirit that we have in this earth, we're going to wallow in it, um, feel sad, we have nothing, we're just terrible people. Yet, Christ in this beatitude sets our minds on eternal life and he implores us to patience in our earthly life. Right? The kingdom of heaven is yours, he tells us. And so being poor in spirit, although we have nothing to offer God, there is a great patience and joy to come because the kingdom is for us. We also might wonder, is the converse true? Are those who are rich in spirit, do they receive the kingdom of heaven? And the answer is no, because to be rich in spirit is to be proud and obstinate and think that you have something to offer God for some reason that he would like you other than Christ's work. When Mary sings her song, her Magnificat, about the Savior, she says this in Luke 152, that the Savior has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. It's a great comparison and contrast of the poor in spirit and the rich in spirit. The rich in spirit are the mighty on their thrones and the Savior brings them down. Whereas those who are poor in spirit are exalted. They are humble. In fact, humility, as J.C. Ryle would say, humility is the first letter in the alphabet of Christianity. Humility is also written throughout the Beatitudes, especially these first three. To be poor in spirit is to be humble. You have nothing to offer God. So it follows then that the next Beatitude is, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This morning, 
It's not a depressive state. Mourning is dealing with mourning for our sin, what it has caused God, um, how we have offended God, and we mourn over that. And so it follows that we are poor in spirit, we have nothing to offer God, therefore we mourn our wretched state, we mourn our sinfulness. And you can think, if a man reflects in the evening about his day, the things he has said, the things he has thought, the things he has done, he will find many times he has done wrong. And the Christian is stricken then with a sense of grief and sorrow over those very sins. And thus we mourn. And we read that's a blessing. It's a blessing to mourn our sins. In fact, one way we could even translate this verse is, happy are the unhappy. This is much like the, the countercultural Christianity we discussed last week. Um, that is just topsy-turvy, an upside-down world. Happy are the unhappy. Happy are those people who mourn. What are you talking about? Uh, but there is a great happiness in the Christian life when we mourn our sins. We don't laugh our sins off and say, well, everybody does it, or make fun of them. In fact, in Luke, in his version, chapter 6, verse 25, on the Sermon of the Mount, he pronounces woes or curses upon those who laugh now. Right? These people who are not mourning their sins, but laughing at their sins and having a good time. Uh, their end will not be very good. And so we typically think of the mourner as unhappy, but Christ is turning that notion upside down, saying that happiness is found in mourning. We find something like this in Paul's writings, Romans 5, 3 through 5, when he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. And thus, we mourn our sins which causes our suffering, but we rejoice in these things, knowing that we will endure because of the work of Christ. The mourning of our sins also causes us with Paul to cry out, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? In Romans 7, 24, we realize just how terrible we are and that we truly live in a body of death because of our sins. And so we can say that the Christian is fundamentally serious and also fundamentally happy. This verse, verse 4 of Matthew 5, shows us that while we mourn, we are still in a state of joy because of the work of Christ and also the things to come, that comfort will come through our Savior. In fact, I personally have found this verse very encouraging as I've studied it, as I mourn my own sins. It causes me to wonder, am I even saved? How could I possibly sin so grievously if I'm a Christian? And to know that my Lord tells me that I will be comforted, that this is really a mark of the Christian, gives me hope. It gives me an assurance of salvation. And I hope for anyone listening that if you truly grieve your sin, uh, it's not a reason to question your salvation, but a reason to rejoice that you are saved, that you care enough to mourn over what you've done. The third beatitude follows from these first two. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 
So what's the result of our poverty of spirit and our mourning? Well, it's meekness. Meekness is difficult to define. It's really not a word we often use in our society. Uh, the Greek here is defined, we could say it's not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. Uh, to be meek is to be gentle or humble, considerate. We don't think highly of ourselves. We think highly of God, and particularly with our relationship with God and our neighbor. And so meekness, it's a beautiful quality in the Christian. Sinclair Ferguson says it enhances manliness and it adorns femininity. It is a jewel to be polished by grace. Meekness is not a characteristic exalted in our society today, right? The meek, our society tells us, are to be uh, chewed up and spit out and trampled on. But I love this Sinclair Ferguson quote that actually meekness enhances manliness, right? You want to be a man, be meek, right? You want to be a woman, be meek. It's a great jewel that the Christian has, and all Christians have it. But it's to be polished by grace, Ferguson says. So we need to exercise our means of grace through word, prayer, and the sacraments and polish that jewel of meekness that God has given us. And so the meek, the meek is the one who can bear provocation. Right? We often in our Sunday morning worship services have a prayer of confession. And we confess that we are sinners before God. It's very easy to do uh, when it's just me and God talking. Let somebody come tell me that I'm a great sinner before God after the service. Uh, we'll see if he doesn't get an earful, right? Um, and you might even want to punch him. Somebody that tells you what a miserable sinner you are. Although, the one who is meek is the one who endures such a thing and says, Yes, you are right. I am a terrible sinner. And I will inherit the earth because of what Christ has done. So as we end our time, I'd like to conclude with another uh, Sinclair Ferguson quote here that sums up these first three Beatitudes very well. Uh, Ferguson wrote, When we know what we are before God and look to him for grace and salvation, then we become poor in spirit. Then we mourn for our sins. Then having seen ourselves as we really are, we bow down to his will in all things. And as we experience the gentleness of his grace, we are meek and gentle with others. So I hope you found this encouraging as you think about these uh, beatitudes that you possess as a Christian, and they give great assurance of salvation as well. Please join us next week, week three, when we'll look at the next two beatitudes from Matthew 5. And remember to uh, check out our calendar and our prayer requests at gsbiblestudy.org.